right, shout, shout, let it all out. These are the things that I think about. Come on. I'm talking to you. Come on. Listen, speaking about talking to you, it's a Talk to Yourself Tuesday. Let's talk about it Tuesday. All that kind of stuff Tuesday. We got Laura Rutledge coming up at 10 o'clock for the Rutledge Perspective. So don't want to miss that. Make sure you stay tuned in for the Rutledge Perspective. But today, in the spirit of Mental Health Awareness Month and the series that I've been teaching on and having people come on, and it's called uh, Pursuing Even in the Midst of Problems, but Still Pursuing Purpose. And I have a young lady in the studios with me. She is no stranger to KCOH TV The Boost. She's no stranger to the listening audience. She is my entertainment attorney, a sweet little person in the form of Miss Dominique Henson. Good morning to you, Dominique. Good morning. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Good, Dominique. You know, we did something the other day, and you were shocked that we did it, right? <laughs> yes. I told the people at first I was going to take you to the zoo like you're a little kid. You're 32 years old. You reminded me that. No, I'm not 31. I'm 32. Okay. And I said, you're going to stop all of that, okay, pretty soon. You're going to stop saying that. Okay, so at the end of the day, I thought we were going to go to the zoo, but I found out the zoo tickets were $27. And I said, they have not created not one monkey that's worth my $27. And since I was treating you, that was double that. So care the one remainder two. I wasn't paying that price. So we ended up going on the paddle boats. I want you to tell people what you learned from that experience, and then we're going to go into Because I'm a, I learned a lot paddle boating with you. First of all, you're 20-something years younger than me, mm-hmm. right? You were so far behind me, though. I, 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 I wow. had told that. Th- yeah, really. That's where you started? Yeah, that is where I started. Wow. You were really, okay, okay. you were huffing and puffing, and I was like, you better come on if you're going to run with me. So I just need that for the record. She wow. she was set very far behind me. But nonetheless, she was still trying to hang in there. Tell me what was your experience from the paddle boat. Uh, a couple things. First, being surprised that Houston had that much stuff to do. Mm-hmm. You know, you live in a city for so long, but you don't really know all the gyms. So I really like that you get people out of their comfort zone and find something new. There's cafes, there's places to study. So it's very cute in Herman Park. That's one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, you know, while we were out there, you were dropping some gems. And I think it's true. You have to sometimes get out into the deep, mm-hmm. out of your comfort zone to so receive something like, new. Yeah. So that's what I took from it is we, we got ourselves a little farther away from where we normally are. And we got to talk and learn about each other. Um, and you poured into me in a way that I haven't gotten before. So I think you got to go out far sometimes to receive. I like that, Dominique, because the truth of the matter is I, I say we take these little mini mental health vacations. And I'm telling people that it doesn't have to be far, but it does need to be at least 30 minutes to an hour to get to somewhere. And my thing is water. I love water. Get somewhere, get with God, get a pen, get a paper, and just commune with him so you can get some clarity and direction. So I do that daily for myself. But lately I've been taking people along the journey with me and going on this journey. And I wanted to take you because I wanted to spend some time with you. Now you know me, all Joe inside. You know that I'd be like, hush, don't do all that talking, don't do all that. You're talking a lot. Ooh, you chatty. But. But you can see that I have benefited from the mental health mini vacations because my nerves are much calmer. Mm-hmm. You see that, don't I you? I do, I do. I, see a, I feel more calm yeah. and, and ready to listen. And what I saw that happen that day is I invested time in you. 
And you invested time in me because there were some things we talked about at the radio station. And I said, what do you think about this, Dominique? And what do you think about this? And there's some legal things that you helped me with. And so I believe that it was an iron sharpened iron type of situation. There was two different generations and they came together for the benefit for something greater. Now, when we were out on that water and I was available, say that, I was available to listen to you. Sometimes I'm not available, yep. and it's not because I'm busy. I'll shut it off like, I don't feel like hearing all this. So I'll go into my own world, <laughs> to be honest, Jerry Little Kids. I'll go into my own world. My family has said that about me, like, where are you? You're not even here with us. I'll be like, baby, I'm on the other side of town making deals. But this particular day, <laughs> I was available to you, and I was available to hear you. And what I heard, it shocked me a little bit, Dominique, because when I look at you, I'm like, she's 32 years old, she's a lawyer, she's prim and proper, she's a sweet person. But to know your background, I would have thought, honestly, you grew up with a silver spoon in your mouth. Mm -hmm. You've never been through anything. Uh, you've had just this picture-perfect, hustable life. Yeah. But listening to you, tell us, that was a little bit different for you, right? Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about it. Um, so, I guess we're going into my family life. So, my grandparents, uh, I'll go back a little bit. My grandparents on my maternal side are immigrants, okay. and so my grandfather was born in Cuba and grew up in Jamaica. Um, my grandmother was born in Costa Rica and mm. grew up in Panama. And so when they both immigrated here, they immigrated to Queens, New York, and that's mm. where my parents met, uh, that's where my parents grew up. Uh, my dad was military and he came to Texas, and it was just my parents. And so I've grown up, not with a lot of family around, but I think that's why I always build community around me. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why my sister always builds community around mm -hmm. her. With those, with those type of people who should have had a whole bunch of family. Around. Wait, let me let me say this part because the first time, and I'll be honest, in my some some years of living, that I really heard the word about community. I'm thinking about living in the community and we're in this community. Yeah. But I normally have heard it from you about, you know, it's good to have community. Good. Community. Explain to people what community is to them. You gotta have your people. Mm -hmm. like you have to have people who you can lean on and vice versa and that you live life with. And I'm kind of like you. People be like, where is she? Right? I'm a thinker. I'm a re I talk too much. So usually I'm very deep in thought. So even in community, I'm a bit of the flower child. Mm -hmm. Probably <laughs> to her own a little bit. But I always have to have uh, people that I bring together. And mm -hmm. I think we have, all we've learned through my mom to always emulate family in mm -hmm. some way. And we bring friends together. We bring people together. Um, but I think that you need that to grow. I think that you need that to feel uh, not lonely, to feel mm -hmm. nourished. And um, I just, I think I have learned through my mother that the people you pour into pour back. Mm -hmm. uh, and she doesn't ever talk that way. She doesn't ever put that out there. But it's just kind of how she acts. Okay, so this is your interpretation of what she's saying because yeah. you said that your mama can clap back a little bit, yes. she, and y'all are totally different. I'm, I am like that, but you a clap backer? I am a clap backer. I oh. am. I will in a different way though. Uh -huh. um, my mother is very real. She's gonna be real. She's gonna keep it real. She's gonna tell you how she feels, um, but not in a way. Uh, not in a way that's like. A, a ratchet way that's inappropriate. Like when you do her wrong, she's gonna tell you, and mm. she's gonna make you hold you accountable to treat her how you're supposed to. And so I think I've gotten that. Mm. But if she does it in a very Queens, New York way. My grandmother, on the other hand, is very proper. She's very uh, pretty. So I think that I get that probably from her. Mm. <laughs> I think I think I looked at my mom as a kid, and I was like. She going off. I can't do that. I'm not allowed to do that. And so I think that prim and proper me, I probably get a little more from my grandma. But I'm both. I'm both. I have range. 
And that, and that's good. So uh, now I know what to watch back and watch because I thought you were a little clapbackish, but I, I sure. but you hide it a little bit. But, but I don't clap back when it's not appropriate. Yeah. I know okay. when to clap back yeah. and when to say. That's a phrase, right? Okay. Okay. Well, that's good. As long as you respect me and don't come in there clap back. But listen, this is <laughs> um, as far as your grandmother, are you biracial by any chance? Um, I just think Caribbean, just both people. You know? Okay. Because I saw a picture and I thought that was a Caucasian woman. Yeah, people do think that. No, mm -hmm. she's not, though. Okay. But, um, but yeah, when I was a kid, I also thought my grandmother was white. I said, yeah, my grandma white. <laughs> <laughs> I used to think that as a kid all the time. I don't know where her father is from. Mm -hmm. uh, she's one of seven sisters, and so they all don't necessarily look alike. So I don't know, maybe her father is, you know, has a different background. Who was the nurturer in your family? Was it your grandmother for you, or was it was your mom nurturing? It would be my mom, but mm. I wouldn't say my mom is not a cuddly nurturing, but mm. she's a I got you nurturing. Like mm -hmm. I got you by any means type of nurturing person. As a young lady, did you ever feel like you weren't gotten that nobody understood you? Because we talk about it and we laugh a bit. Yeah. You're a little quirky. You know, you have little quirky, cute little ways. I'm like, girl, that's weird. But it works for you, right? It does. But it didn't I, it wasn't something I was always comfortable with. Okay. Um you know, I was always a kid who was very smart and very astute, and I could I could read a room and know things in a very deep way. And I think in this last couple of years, as I've been doing a lot of healing, I think what happens when you heal is you start to remember yourself, and mm. you start to remember parts of who you were. And I was on a trip last summer with my mom and my sister, and that's when I really realized who I am in group dynamics. The two of them, they're both Geminis. They're chatty, they want to have fun, they're being crazy. When the three of us are together, they're like that, and I'm very to myself. I'm very quiet. And my mom, she's reminded me, she said, you don't talk a lot, but when you do, you have something really deep to say. And so I think as a kid, um, I think sometimes it made me uncomfortable realizing, like, I don't keep it light. You know, I don't care about silly stuff. Small talk is yeah. not really my thing. Um, and so I think there were times I had trouble with it, but I've always been a little old person. You know, and we're kind of similar in that way. I'm not really a small talker. Let's yeah. get down to the meat of the matter or whatever. And like I said, that particular day, I was open to hear you. Yeah. Like I said before, not that I never heard you before. Get it right. Okay. Not that I never listened to you. It's like I heard you, but I didn't retain a lot because you were younger and y'all were talking. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's cute. Oh, yeah. But this particular day, I made time to invest into you as you invested into me. And while we were talking on that boat, I got to know you in a way that I didn't know you before. And then I started looking at you. Like, okay, so this child was a little different than most children. Mm -hmm. I was different than most children. I was creative, and I liked to be to myself. And then, But a lot of people like hanging out with me, and I hung out with people yep. only because they wanted to hang out yes, with me. Exactly. Not that I really wanted to hang out with people, right? <laughs> so then you almost become fake in a way because you're almost programmed to perform for people when that's really not who you are. You're more of an introvert, and you're more wanting to think. Like you said, you yeah. wanted to think, and you wanted to read. In the midst of all of that, you told me something about your dad. How's your dad doing? He's, He's good. good. Okay. Y'all had a different type of relationship, yeah. though, right? And yeah. tell us a little bit about that. Um, I, when I was young, he was he was in and out. You know, he, there were some seasons when he wasn't around. It was just my mom. Mm -hmm. I would say that my... I think when I was younger, my dad was a lot of my primary caretaker because my mom was at work. Mm -hmm. like when people think about my mom, they're going to say she was at work. And I know okay. that she hates that. Mm -hmm. um, she hates that so much. But I look at it like... Man, the fact that you went to work, your kids can do anything. You know, like yeah. you, you have you have created a vessel, and you've shown us something. You've shown us a way of being. Um, but yeah, my dad was in and out, and I think that um, that was really 
hard for somebody like me because I could read the whole room and I understood it in a different way. Um, my mom, uh, it broke my heart. She was telling me earlier this year, um, she said, you know, I remember looking at you when you were like 12 or 13, we were at this Mexican restaurant and both my parents were there and that's what they were telling us. You, you know, we split, you know, your dad gonna move somewhere else. And she said, I watched the childhood just erase. Like that was when your mm. childhood left. Mm. And I said, oh my God. You know, cause I don't, I don't remember it that way. I don't remember seeing myself that way, but she does. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I was a kid who just uh, conceptualized things too mm -hmm. much. And I got, and I understood what was happening, and I understood the repercussions in a very real way. Like I wasn't confused at all, and I knew what it was going to mean for us. And um, I think I grew up emotionally very quickly um, because of that. I want to say good morning to Kathy Tatum this morning. Thank you for joining us. A.K. Moore, thank you for joining us today. Latasha Davis Johnson, thank you for joining us today. Bishop, good morning to you on today. Bishop Fred Jones on today, who will be returning to the all-new KCOH TV Boost real, real soon. So get ready for some good gospel music. You know, I want, you see how quick I go in and out, you know, okay. So, uh, <laughs> you know. I see it. I'll keep it up. Okay, keep up, keep up, because you, you're doing some things here as well. Making It Out Alive. I, I came up with that title today because that's the title of your podcast, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And I think of people, even at my age, who have made excuses for not doing what they feel God has called them to do. Mm -hmm. My childhood wasn't the best. I didn't have a dad. And when I did have a dad, they said, what you said? He was in and out. My mama was busy. She had her own thing. I felt like an oddball. I wasn't this. I wasn't that. But even with all of that, you became an attorney. Tell us what made you come out of the situations that you were in and still push past all of that to become an attorney. My mom. Mm. And, it's, and she is not someone, she's never told us, you got to go do this, or you have to perform. She's never, she's expected us to do well in school, mm -hmm. but she's never told me, oh, you got to go achieve all these things. Mm. But just in who she is, she's so real and such a grinder that I think my sister and I, it's just in us. Like, mm. we watched it, and that's who we are. You know, my sister's in medical school. I'm a, do mm. I'm a lawyer. And people are like, how did you get a doctor and a lawyer? And my mom is very excited. She's like, I don't know. That's what they wanted to do. But I look at it like, when I, when I think about my purpose and what I can do for people, it's just like my mother's love personified in a very different way. Mm. Um, because that's who she is. She's going to work really hard. She's always going to be very creative in finding different ways to make something work. And in a very authentic way. And I think that's what people can get when they see me. Is I'm, I think I'm a personable lawyer. Uh, I think I'm the type of person you know uh, isn't going to be too judgmental no matter mm -hmm. what it is. I have opinions, but I'm not judgmental. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's where I get it from. That's it. Um, I always knew I wanted to be a lawyer because I talk a lot. And when I was young, I didn't know how to channel that, so I just argue a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, just, I always knew that's what I wanted to do. Uh, nobody wanted me to be a lawyer. Everybody wanted me to be a pharmacist. I can't do math. Mm. I can't do math. Um, but Make It Out Alive was really, it wasn't really about that journey. It was much more a journey leaving the practice of law and going out on my own. So it was a different period of my life when Make It Out was really born. I think uh, going to law school is hard. I think becoming a lawyer is really hard. But that wasn't the hard that almost took me out. Mm. <laughs> that was that was a manageable and I'm sure at the time I didn't feel that way I skated like I barely scraped by but that wasn't really what took me out um, I think I became very depressed in a different part of life and that's where Make It Out was born that's what we'll get to depression because a lot of us know people or know someone who deals with depression yes. 
And nine times out of ten, it's normally someone older who deals yeah. with depression. But since this pandemic, and when you guys first came on the scene, when you came here with Attorney Hall, and then I was like, I like her. And then you became a part of here and, and a blessing to me. Then you brought in a, a friend of yours and somebody else with you, and then I had young Terry here and all that. And we were doing a little show together. Yeah. Now, I don't want to call it a little show because y'all kids under me. But a show together. Let me just say that. Y'all not, y'all mean baby babies. But um, we're doing a show. I think a lot of that was therapeutic. Yes. Because oh, I didn't really know what I had on my hands. <laughs> and I'm not being funny when I said that. Yeah. You all had some different stuff. Yeah. And yet you were doing a show, but in the midst of doing the show, different stuff was coming out of you all that yes. needed to come out. Yes. Different stuff was coming from me that needed I needed to be more patient, I needed to be understanding, I needed to listen. And I understood, okay, they come from different backgrounds and they're doing different stuff, but they both, all of them have something that they need to work out. Do you believe in the midst of the pandemic there was depression going on for you? Um, no. I feel like once my sister moved out of my apartment, like maybe May or June of the pandemic, so a couple months in, when she left, that's when I first got silent and I first got to sit and start really getting mm. meditative. That was when I realized, girl, you've been depressed and this is your time to really work on yourself. So I think for me... I was depressed up until that point, mm. and then I really started working on myself. So I think since the pandemic, now I'm a totally different person, but that's because I did a lot of healing. And I believe that because you seem more calmer, you seem more centered than you were before yeah. the two years that we were here together. So tell me, what did you do to get that to that place? Because there's somebody out there listening now saying, okay, she's 32, she, you know, what kind of depression could she have gone through? What can somebody your age go through? Well, I will say this because you said that most people who go through depression are older. I think now plenty of young people are mm -hmm. depressed and go through the, the things that lead to depression, maybe like long-term anxiety or things like that. And so I think now so many people my age are depressed and don't realize it um, or realize it and have no idea how to crawl out. Mm. Um, what was your question? See, that's going to depress me because you're not I know, listening. But I know, um, <laughs> I'm saying, what do you believe, what can somebody your no. age feel depressed about? Oh, I think social, the internet does it. Mm -hmm. The internet does it. Um, even, you know, Mr. Hall was talking about, um, you know, how, when I, one of the first episodes that came on, he talked about how young people can't find their identity. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's because of these little boxes on the phone, you know. We sit on our phones all day long. Mm -hmm. We sit on, and so everything is a comparison, and we don't really put in perspective that it's just somebody's highlight reel. So I think people get a lot uh, get depressed because maybe they don't realize. Maybe there's a lot of different reasons, but I think we lack perspective. We lack perspective, and we lack connection. So we lack perspective on the whole of our life mm -hmm. that. Being 20-something or 30-something, you don't have to have it all figured out. Mm -hmm. I think people maybe a few generations ago could have reconciled with that idea because you didn't have anything to compare yourself to. Mm -hmm. um, but now you always have something to compare yourself to. And attention on social media is now monetized, right? It's not just that you're a cute girl and you got an outfit on. It's, I got this outfit on and that company paid me to wear this outfit. I got $10,000 per post and now I'm making money and I'm taking trips. And so now you're seeing that and, you know, you just at home just trying to, you know, feel like you're doing something. But because a dollar sign, someone has a dollar sign associated with their popularity, it's really hard to not uh, compare your worth to that. 
You know, I just recently, Natasha Davis Johnson just said, that's an entire set. Social media can depress you. Yes. And it really can. But when I got booted off of Facebook for a while, uh, recently, and just got back on to be able to do videos or whatever, um, I went to YouTube to post some shows or whatever. But going over to YouTube, I hadn't been on YouTube in years. I didn't know how demonic YouTube had gotten. And when you talk about social media influencers, yep. there's a big scandal. You know, you probably don't know what's going on, but I watched it. I followed it. I'm like, what they doing? What's going on? But it's a comedian that's a well-known comedian on YouTube or whatever, and they're making these allegations against her. But it's like this whole team of people because they're monetized. Mm -hmm. That's the key word you said. I'm like, wait a minute. You can get paid to be an influencer yeah. on YouTube. So to be honest with you, that was my forethought. Like, okay, maybe I need to start doing this, and that can yeah. get monetized to do this. But then something came to me this morning when I came in. He said, no, you wouldn't want that. You're not ready for that. First of all, when you were doing your Facebook Live every morning, your show on Facebook Live, it was work. Yes. Imagine someone looking at you for four hours, an hour, and you would literally almost have to perform for yeah. these people. Whether you feel good about it. I mean, I still have to do that coming in to do radio. Whether I'm happy, sad, or whatever, I still got to motivate and encourage people. But with somebody looking at you for that long, and it's expected of you to do, and I believe that there are so many social media influencers who are depressed. Yeah. Because now you have to keep up with this lifestyle that everybody is looking at. And the powers that be pay you. Yeah. <laughs> but is it enough? Do you think? Um, Tell me what it is to see if I need to keep on going. <laughs> I was going to say, I have some friends who are like your very long-standing high powers. They, they make they, money. I mean, you can, people are millionaires off of bringing influence. You could certainly do well, but I think it depresses everyone. It depresses people watching who are trying to keep up, right, and, and who feel their own self-worth be triggered. It affects the people who now, I got to perform. I got to be this person. I got to show it all off. You know, there was um, a woman a few months ago, and I cannot remember her name. Um, she's a lawyer. She was Miss Universe or Miss America. She had TV shows, young black woman, and she committed suicide. And she jumped off a building. And, um, mm. you know, that's someone who I think it hit close to home because it looks like you have it all, right? You mm -hmm. got the social media. You're Miss America. I don't know which Miss she was, but she was somebody's Miss. Miss Universe was something. Beauty, long, long curly hair down her butt. And this is somebody who was dealing with so much stuff. Um, and it became too much. And so mm. I think that it's very, very easy. Attention is a hell of a drug. Attention is a hell of a drug. Say this again. Attention is a hell of a drug. And it's like, you when you first get it, it feels good, but then you do everything you can to keep it up. And then at some point, for some people, it creates a different anxiety, but you can't, right? I mean, it's like a drug addiction. You can't not. Mm. Maybe you know it makes you feel miserable. Maybe you know it feels bad to perform and that you're not being authentic, but you need it and you want it. And now it's your job or... Um, Maybe it's not your job and you're just 20-something years old, but look at all the people who love you and you're getting this attention. So, yeah, we lost. We're a very lost generation um, and that, that people have now capitalized on monetarily. I told a friend of mine the other day, I said, I don't have the energy to deal with any friendships that are low self-esteem. And does that sound rude when I say that? Let me explain that. No. Because you just said attention is a drug. There are relationships that you can have with people who have low self-esteem and insecurities. And that's why I do this mental health talk and I'm, I'm putting my mental health tips because we got to work through. Because if you don't work through your own insecurities, 
People who are supposed to be in covenant with you become your competition. You're competing against them, and they're just trying to complete a mission. They're not trying to outdo you or whatever, whatever, whatever. And you can feel the inner conflict come against you when you're with people who have low self-esteem. It is important that we all deal with our insecurities. You and I talked about that on the boat, that as human beings... At some point, like, I can look at that blouse and say, I wish I had, I wish my hair, no, let me say your hair, because the blouse is cute, but let me say your hair. The blouse ain't that cute, man. Okay, well, don't, 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 that's that low self-esteem. Listen, so you're, I'm looking at your hair. You got, that's your real hair, right? Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, what if I said, man, I can't even talk to her right because I'm so into her hair, and I can't even tell you that your hair is beautiful, because I'm so insecure within myself that if I gave you a compliment, for some reason, I think that's going to kill me or make me less than. Those are the things. Now, your hair is beautiful. I always like your hair like that. I think it's cute. But my thing is that if we don't deal with inner insecurities, and we're seeing it on social media, everybody almost is in a competition to out. Be, I'm not going to go in debt behind somebody else because they looking like they living this life because some of this stuff is not real. Not, so much of it. It's not real. It's not real. It looks good. Now, me going ahead of you on that paddle boat and beating you, that was real. Get Don't get that twisted, honey. Tell the truth. Yeah, me being ahead I of you and you I all behind have me. I didn't my pedal. I didn't understand the pedal game. I, and I, I don't flare jeans. I didn't know. <laughs> now, look, you see me today, I brought a hoodie. But look, I feel like you would like this hoodie. This Be patient. Grow daily. Now that's nice. Right? I like that. I yeah, like that. I thought it was gonna be colder in here. Oh, so, you know. well, I turned it down. See, I'm trying to be considerate. Don't do that because now I'm hot. Because I'm gonna turn it back up. You can but, turn it back. <laughs> okay, good. Because you know we're different ages. We're going to do different things. But at the end of the day, I believe that if we don't take time to deal with insecurities, insecurities can be the death of many of us. Yes. Insecurities will have people in depression. Yeah. Because insecurities are real, but to have to keep feeling them every day is not. And maybe this is maybe this is sounds contrary to what you're saying. I think some things in life you're there are stages in life that there's always something you're insecure about, something that you don't always feel good about where you are. I think it's acknowledging it because what you said about I can't even tell give somebody a compliment. Mm -hmm. That's because you don't want to address the 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 hurt part of you, right? The insecure part, and it's like you're gonna always have something you're insecure about. There's always something, and I think that just has to be okay. You know what I mean? Like, there's always something. And it's like, what can you accept about yourself? And you asked me, well, how did I get out of depression? I didn't know that's what I was doing. I didn't mm. have any intentional plan. It was a very intuitive, uh, God-led thing. I sat down. Wait, let me tell you. They say your hair is 100. It's on 100. Oh, See, you. if I was insecure, I would have just looked over there and not, I'm not telling her that. I would have deleted it. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. See, okay, I can't even say that. That's just an acceptance for me. Because back in the day, I would have hated the little frizz when I first started oh. wearing it. And there was a time I never wore my hair natural. I used to have a relaxer, but I started to wear natural because I was going bald. And you, when I would get my perm, you could just see, you could just see oh, all you of had the, no edges. Yeah, but no, I don't have any edges now. But see, oh. I just put it to the front so you can't tell. Oh. But my hair, you could just Pro. see straight through it. Okay. And so that's why I started going natural. It was a totally, it was out of insecurity. <laughs> that's it. Insecurity. Uh, yeah, it was. It was like, man, you could really, you could, you 
know, you know when someone has thin hair and it just kind of, you can see through the... And you, that was what I was. When you say that, I'm thinking about Tall Cole, super producer Tall Cole. He's my producer on Fridays. But he always talk about my feet being big, right? And I do have big feet. When I was young, I hated the fact that I had big yeah. feet because they made fun of me. But it would be stupid because I would fall. I need the big feet to hold yeah. me. So when we were boating and I was looking at how fast I was able to go against wow. you. we still Yeah, I got to go there. That's probably an insecurity, but I don't care. Uh, while I was boating, those big feet were necessary to get us across the water, to get me across that water, because I wasn't breathing like you. I was able to glide across that water, and I posted, I don't know if you saw it, but I posted my feet, which I never would have done, and said, see, Tom, these twelves came in handy. Now, that is... <laughs> That is taking possession over the narrative, changing yeah, the narrative. Where somebody could, he says it jokingly because I talk about him. He's bald headed. There's so much material on him. I'm not even going to bring it up. But at the end of the day, we have to find something that may have been an insecurity before and look at it as a blessing now. And I believe there's so, just like your hair. You said you didn't like it, but you have people here tuned in and people on the radio wish they could see you. And you can come on Facebook if you want to see it. To see your hair, but that was an insecure thing for yeah. you. So are there levels of working ourselves out of what we used to be insecure about? Yes. Um, and I think for me, getting still and mm. meditating, and just not even meditating, just breathing. I think what meditation is, is really sitting down and letting things come up for you and not reacting. Just observing what comes up mm. in your mind. And I had tried, med when I was in distress, I did try that. And it didn't work because I think I was too in distress but um during the pandemic i could sit longer and i could just get still and so i think my energy now is more still because i've just done that long enough um, but i think when you get still and you see what comes up for you and you realize dang i hate my hair i hate my feet i hate this job i hate that i don't have what this other person has you realize you you start to get a gentle acceptance of yourself and you just you just have to create a little bit of room um a little bit of space between how you feel right now and allow, allowing a new emotion, a new impression of yourself come up. And mm. I think it's like you have to like breathe into that to say, okay, maybe I really don't like this thing about myself, or maybe this person has something I really wish I had. But if you just sit with that feeling and actually acknowledge it, I think you get a little more acceptance. And it just takes time. But for me, when I sat, you know, what I got into the when I was where we were all leading into the pandemic, where I was in life was I'd been an attorney working in these law firms for years, maybe mm -hmm. six years, something like that. Mm -hmm. And I did not, I hate, I, I became so depressed. I had an anxiety attack while I was there that I didn't know I was having. Um, people talked bad on me, people gaslit me. I didn't even know what gaslighting was until I became an attorney. Uh, and someone had to tell me that's And I'm just now, I mean, because I think that's a term people are using more, more often. And more. Yeah, yeah, that and uh, narcissists. We yes, talked about exactly. that. Yeah. So tell some people that don't know what gaslighting is. All right, it's where someone makes you question your reality or your yeah. understanding of things, right? Maybe someone who, like, uh, for me, it was a partner I worked for who was horrible at me. Oh, your work is terrible. You're not doing good enough. I need, you know, you didn't give it to me on time, knowing I did give it to you on time. And what I submitted is exactly what you gave the judge. So it couldn't be that horrible. Things where people make you question your reality. Um, and so when we talk about insecurities and acceptance, um, you know, the last firm I was at, um, they let me go. 
and I begged to stay. I was like, I love this job. I love being here. I love these people. But I'm like, they don't love me. And mm. they were really racist. They were mm. really racist. Um, and they let me go in a really racist way. And so when I finally got still, um, and so at that point when I got let go, I started my own firm, and I've been working for myself. And I got this freedom, a bit of autonomy, and that was great, but I was hustling. <laughs> Man, I was hustling. And so I was just tired. And then the pandemic happened, and I slowed down, and I had to start, like, sitting with myself and sitting with how I felt about things. And I had to get to this place of realizing I am a phenomenal attorney, but I am not a good associate. I am not good at working for somebody um, in law, and certainly not people who aren't accepting of black people. And those are the people I work for. Um, and so I had this the beginning of the pandemic, even when I thought about this podcast, there was this like, there were these equal lanes that I was working with. One was a personal lane of accepting myself and loving myself. And then I think that opened the door for purpose and me realizing, oh, girl, forget those people. You have a whole different lane that God is setting you up for. But I think I needed that season. And I like what you said. You said you came to your reality. You said these people don't like me. <laughs> now, I want to deal with that right there because I'm. And we've got all these people all over the world that say, you don't even know how we do this. Let me show you how we can see who's tuned in all over the world and um, taking a listen to what you have to say. And these are names that some of these I can't even pronounce. So we got more people than I'm, what I'm pronouncing, okay, because I need to learn them, okay? And uh, we are Nottingham, they're tuned in. Beresaris, they're tuned in. We've got Finland. We've got France. We've got Brazil, Puerto Rico, Germany. Oh, Puerto Rico bid us to come because I'm going to need you to come help me. Uh, Germany, United Kingdom, Argentina, Philippines, and India is tuned in today. We're in New York, we're in Raleigh, Durham, we're in Atlanta, we're in Pittsburgh, we're in San Antonio, we're in Dallas, Fort Worth, we're in Kansas City, Chicago, and Houston in mass numbers, right? So you're sitting here, and there is somebody listening to you now in all these different places, right? And they're being gaslit. They're being making, made to believe what they feel is not what they feel, right? Mm -hmm. You said you came to the realization, these people don't like me. Yeah. Let me tell you, that happened for me in the pandemic. When I was able to sit still for two yeah. years, even coming up here talking to y'all and, and, and planning and gardening and talking to you about planning and talking to you about blowing bubbles and all that kind of stuff, I was able to see some of this stuff, these people don't like me. Yeah. And truth be told, I don't like some of these people because there was a revealing that took place, but it only takes place when you sit still. Yep. And when you begin to recognize and realize what God has already been saying to you. Today's scripture was Proverbs 22 and 29. It says, Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. When you take time out to work on you, when you take time to work on your craft, because you said, I am a hell of an attorney. I'm just not a good associate. Mm -hmm. But that means you got to take time to work on being a hell of an attorney. Yeah. You got to work on your craft, and you're doing that. You're doing what you need to do to get you together. And you're getting your mental together. You're getting your spirit to together. It says you'll stand before great men, not me, before kings, and not mean men. Have you ever taken your gift to people who were mean? And really didn't like you, but yeah. they liked the idea of having you. Yeah. But they didn't like you. Yeah. But that light came on and said, I don't have to do this. Honestly, my light didn't go on. I was stubborn. I didn't listen. I thought 
I needed to make that work. There was a level of security that I thought I needed to stay in that space. But you're absolutely right. People see your light. People see your gift. And I muzzled it. I did it for years. I made people feel comfortable. Ooh. So I didn't speak up. I wasn't myself. When a client wanted to talk to me more than the partner next to me, I acted like it wasn't there. And so I knew my light was making them uncomfortable. The last man I worked for, he would make so many racist jokes. Mm. He would make so many jokes and then apologize later. Mind you, I was an employment lawyer, so this is a, an attorney who knows what discrimination is, but he couldn't help it because I made him uncomfortable. And mm. he, couldn't, he couldn't sit next to me in all of who I am. You know you know when you're in your, you talked about it the other day, your zone of genius, people see that. Yeah. And if people are insecure who they are and they have power over you, they're going to make you hush that. And I think about where my depression came from. It's like I just bottled up my goodness for too long. Like I bottled mm. up who I was and I just crumbled. Like I couldn't talk to my mom, my sister. I was just a mean person. I would just pop off. And I just, I, I think I let myself stay somewhere I wasn't supposed to be for so long. And truth be told, I would have stayed if they hadn't let me go. I would have stayed. I would have been around. You and honestly believe that? Um, I think I would have for a while. I think I would have longer than I needed to. But there was when it happened, I knew that day I will never work for another lawyer again. And my mom was like, you need some money. You don't need to be doing You need some money. And I was like, look, I hear you. The level of depression that I am like, and I didn't say it like that because I don't communicate very well. I think I'm better now, but I don't use words like that. Um, like was, what? Words like what? How I feel. Mm-hmm. I wasn't in a place of saying how I feel. I didn't, I never communicated to her, hey, I'm really depressed. Mm-hmm. I'm really struggling. And I think I just said, I'll never do it again. And I'm a very stubborn person. And so she was so scared. She's like, you don't need to be doing that. You know, you need some security. I want you to feel comfortable. And I want you to be safe. And I was like, all that comfort and safety almost killed me. So instead, mm-hmm. I'm sure. going to go find my purpose and just risk it all. And that's where Make It Out, even Make It Out, like it was born, all of that time was all the same for me. I want you to meet me up at Fiesta, I'm going to ordain you this week. Listen, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I got to get, get, yeah, get a little Fiesta license for you and ordain you. Listen, Sherry Duff in St. Louis says good morning. She said your hair is absolutely beautiful. Uh, Yvonne Wallace says good morning. I appreciate the topic. More people are depressed today. I believe because we are more self-absorbed, yep. self-evaluating according to someone else's standards. Yep. And I believe that too. Now, what, I'm the flip side of the self-absorbed. Because there was a time that I felt if I thought about what's going on with me too much, that that was selfish. I believe self-absorbed in some area, not, not self-absorbed in the area of I'm just so high-minded, it's all about me, baby, you can't get with me, I ain't. I'm talking about that, that self-reflection where you said, I stayed longer than I should have. Mm-hmm. I made people comfortable because I had genius, but I held it back. I've done that, been there, done that. We talked about all of that. And downplayed some things. And people can accept you on a level they want to accept you on. But anytime you break out of that box. Now, I beg to differ with your mom on this because my mom was like that as well. She wanted to make sure I was comfortable and safe. But he didn't call me to be comfortable and safe. He called me to be obedient to what he Mm. said to do. And a mother can love you so much yep. that it can be deadly, though, if it's not what God told you to do. Because I get what you said when you said, 
I'll never work for another attorney. The mother would come up and say, don't ever say never. Yep, don't you yep, do yep. that. Watch your black mouth. Okay, listen. I threw that in. Mama didn't say that. Um, I said something. I worked for somebody a couple of weeks, a month ago to do a new, something I was doing. And I didn't like the way I was treated. And this wasn't the first time I felt slighted and mistreated yeah. for the money. And I vowed, God, I never want to be so hungry that I don't care what they offer me, that I'll do that. Come on. Yep. I don't care what you offer me. In my spirit, there was a resolve. I won't go that way again because I don't like the way you treated me. And you know you didn't treat me yeah. right. You paid me right, but you didn't treat me right. Why didn't you pay me right? I don't get my coins now. But at the end of the day, there were greater coins when I made that resolution. There were greater opportunities and greater doors because sometimes people will pin you in thinking you need them when they really need you. God had to reveal to me, you're the plug. Yeah. You're the plug, and whoever plugs into you gets your energy, your source, because your source is coming from me. So sometimes we be looking at all these other people like, that's the plug. That's if I get on this. There were smaller events that I did that I had more money, more fun, and more peace. Yeah. So I get when you're saying... I never want to work for another attorney. But before I knew God like I knew God, I probably would be that mama said, girl, don't say never. You just you don't burn no bridge. You don't know. Yeah. But when you get that kind of self-anger inside of you, that anger, like that holy anger, I call yeah. it holy righteousness. God is going to make sure you don't have to go that way again. But that means you're going to have to take it to another level. Yeah. But, but even in that, that once you're willing to mm. step out in the risk he gives you, you're going to be covered. And that's why I love having mentors because I didn't put the faith in myself. I was scared and I did it anyway, but I didn't put the faith in it myself. I talked to a lot of people. Man, one of my OGs, Reginald McCamey, he took me. And, and you know, God will put the people in the season right before the season you're supposed to be into. I believe that. And this is a man I'd met at an enterprise. Enterprise. Um randomly in March, a couple months before I left the firm, and I would say eight months later, I reached out and I said, hey, I started my own law firm. Um, do you have any advice? Immediately started ministering, poured into me, and we went to lunch, and I said, well, how do you know you're going to get enough clients? Or how do you know you're going to have mm. what you need? And he said, why don't you have any faith? He said, you don't have no faith in yourself? You don't have no faith that God put you here? Mm. And it was in that way where somebody kind of checks you, and you like it was a gut check, like, dang, I am moving in faith. Why am I not more confident in it? Why am I not louder in it? And I realized, like, it was a very short period, but every single thing I needed, God provided. I went through a whole pandemic being barely starting on my own. I never needed for anything. There were times I thought I was going to, but the mm. moment it was due, it came. And I had to, I think I learned faithfulness in a very scary way, but it's like you got to lean into it. And had I not, where I am now would have never come. I would not be sitting here right now if I wasn't willing to listen. And I had to realize, like, there's a point that your purpose is waiting for you to take a leap out. And if you do, you take that one small leap, everything will open up for you. But you have to be willing to take the steps when he tells you. Yes, yeah. that's just where I was. That's what I did. And I was scared. I was broke. I was very torn. But then I just had time to rebuild myself up. Um, and I think it was in, you talked about um, being self-absorbed. I am so self-centered now. 
And that doesn't mean I don't look out for my family. It yeah. doesn't mean I don't look out for my friends. It means for the first time, I focus on me. And because I have been so focused on me, I feel like everybody gets a better version of me. Everybody gets something better out of me. And so people should be self-focused. Like, are, have you poured into yourself yet? Every week, do you spend time with yourself? You know, you are different, but you in nature. And I know what that does for you. You know, it gives you time to reflect, to bring, and you got to bring yourself back. You know, you got to let your nervous system cool off. Sometimes you do so much throughout your day. You see yeah. so many people. I, you know, I talk to students all day. Everyone comes to me now with crisis. I would have never been prepared for that if I hadn't gone through my own or if I hadn't taken time to heal myself. Even where I am now, I'm like, I could have never been here and held space for everyone's life happenings if I hadn't learned how to take time for myself. I would have been an uneven person. I would have been someone who takes anyone else's problems all day but can't take care of herself, right? It's good. And it's like, no, 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 no. Because I've taken care of myself, I can now deal with your stuff with you. But at the end of the day, I still go home and I still meditate because, you know, when you're dealing with, and I think I think this is something that I'm sure pastors deal with, right? If you're hearing other people's stuff all day, when you get home, it's still, a t like, it's hard to realize what's mine and what's someone else's. Like, uh, are these emotions and stuff that's in my mind, is it mine or was I... Was I, did other people's energy and bad stuff come to me? Well, there it is. Uh, back in the day when I worked at KYLK 1140 back in the woods, I would go, go to do the radio show, go visit people in the hospital, yeah. go to elderly people's homes, and I would come home and sleep all day. And yeah. I would be drained, and <laughs> yeah. I'd be so tired, and I'd be so cry, I would cry, I was aggravated. Mm -hmm. And it took an older preacher, a pastor woman, who said, Jerry, that's not your, that's not your grief. Yeah. You have to learn how to leave all of that stuff yeah. back at the hospital, back at the radio station. And I've learned that. And then, uh, uh, good morning, Lavette. Good morning to you. Glad to see you come in with us. You've got to learn what is your assignment and what is not your assignment. Yeah. I no longer cast pearls before the swine. And here's the deal. Not everybody come to you trying to be a pig. But there are some people who are not ready to receive what you're ready to pour out. Say again. Not everybody that comes to you is trying to be a pig. But it's some picket stuff right there because not everybody that comes to you is ready to receive what you're ready to pour out. Pouring out on someone that's not wanting to receive, they just want your time and your company and just to hang out, but they're really not trying to hear what you're saying, that becomes draining to you. Yes. And I've done that for too long. So now my phone goes unanswered on purpose because I know for me what I need to keep me doing what God is calling me to do is to pour out into those that are ready. Yeah. To receive because I get something from those that are receptive. You and I were on the little boat, but we were pointing into each other. And even though I called you Chatty Kathy, you still chatty, which is sweet. But um, I was open to hear you because I understood you were receiving that time that we have. I believe that we would get further along if we start recognizing what we have to give our investments. And some places are not good investments. And I talked about the time I interviewed Vice President Kamala Harris. You had just came up here that yep. day, and I was like, oh, i got to do Kamala Harris or whatever. But God gave me the revelation the other day when I was sitting in the park. I had access to the Vice President of the United States, the first black president, black woman president of the United States. I didn't know all the vetting that I had went through. They did a series of things before I could talk to the President of the United States. It took me about an hour before I could get straight to her, before they sent me to her. There was one department here. I had to go through that department, yeah. this department, that department. I said all that to say some people want access, but they have not worked to get the access. They're not approved to have access to your space. 
doesn't make them bad. It just means they're not accessible to what God has for you. And if you give access to the wrong person, it could be detrimental. If I was a serial killer or some kind of white supremacist or some kind of uh, conspiracy theorist person and got on there with the vice president, I could have said anything to throw her off and have people look at her yeah. in a different way. So we have to be careful with the space and time that God gives us, and we almost have to be overprotective of that. Because all you have is your mind, yeah. and your mind is what? Your moneymaker. So if your mind is scattered and all over town and you in somebody else's business yeah. who don't really want help, they just want company, then who loses? And it's the only thing that's going to be with you for the rest Come of your on. life. And that's where I had to really dig deep in taking care of myself. I'm going to be here and here for the rest of my life, no matter who else is around. And I think you see people who hate themselves and 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 are not willing to, you know, hate their decisions. And that's how I think a lot of, like, narcissists, little things like that start. Sometimes it's an insecurity or an action that you've done that you regret. People will hold those parts, and, and it stays with you. If you don't accept, so even going back to acceptance, you got to live with yourself. Come on. And so you ha you better start accepting and holding yourself accountable because when you don't, it's going to stay with you forever. And it grows and becomes a little monster and it has its own identity in you. And we talked about that, right? People who you know haven't gotten over something yet. And and it don't matter what you're putting out, you're still dealing with it. Come on. You're, it, it whether it's an insecurity, an action you regret, right? That. And people will spend their whole life hating themselves. I'm not about to hate myself. And if that means I have to learn to apologize more, that means I have to learn how to hold myself accountable more. I'm not about to hate me because I'm stuck with me. You better talk and you got a long life to live with you. Okay? I say, because we said, you said all the time, life is long. Sometimes yeah. people say life is short. You say life is long. You got a long, T.D. Jake said this one time. He said, we all prepare to die, but who's going to prepare to live? What if you don't die when you think you're going to die? Now you got all this life to live. So that's true yeah. what you said. Life is long. Because when you have to realize you got to deal with you, you can put people on the back burner. I'm trying to deal with me. There, And I talk about people, as she says, a lot of people that are depressed. There are a lot of people who are grieving still. Yeah. Just because I came to work the day after my mom passed doesn't mean I was, I was healed. Mm. I came in here dancing and, and encouraging and praying for people and never stopped, never took a day off, never did anything, but didn't mean that I was good. It means I was just good at what I do and I was going to show up because I didn't know what else to do. Yeah, so I up. say, you don't get to get the same me. After you've had some type of trauma, after you've had some type of loss, most people will never get to get the same you. Now, the same you <clears throat> could mean... Because now they're trying to figure out, who am I without what I once had? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> who am I going forward, and how do I move forward? That when people say, oh, you're so busy, you can't come. Yeah, I am. If I'm just cutting my toenails, I'm busy. If I'm just, you know what I'm saying, picking I'm a nap, busy. I'm, busy I'm busy. Because I have some self-reflection to do and some healing to do, and you said it. I can't come out here bleeding on the people. No. You as a lawyer can't say, you dirty son of a black and blank, yeah. but we're going to win this case because you mad and you frustrated. <laughs> when you got to deal with a bunch of people, you better deal with you first. You gotta, yeah, and, and you must always, I think you should bookend it. Start your day with yourself, end your day with yourself. <laughs> because if you don't, whatever stuff people threw at you, it stays with you. I'm not keeping it. 
I feel like that's why the only reason I'm white these days mm. is because all day it's crisis, crisis, crisis. And like you said, we handle things well. Yeah. Like black women just gonna get it. We're you always get gonna done. get it done. But whether it's not taking the bereavement we need, not taking the PTO to deal with your mental illness, we always get it done. And it's like, okay, that's who we are. That's a good thing. But don't let it be a crutch either. Don't let it be something where you're so strong that you don't take care of yourself. Come on now. You're not doing that. That's not your that's not yeah. your assignment. No. I'm able to say no. I told you the other day I said there's a person that keeps continuously contacting me about doing something and I'm not ready. And I mean, I'm not ready. And I said, it's almost very forceful. And I know that they heard what I said several times. They don't understand my boundaries or whatever. But it is important to set boundaries. And it's also important to set rules and regulations of those boundaries are consistently crossed. Sometimes we can want something so much that we'll miss it. Yeah. We'll lose it. And it won't be acceptable to us because we didn't know how to wait. What I tell you about you? You can hear me say, not now. You say, okay. And you'll wait. Because you know that I hear God, and when I'm ready, Dominique, can we, Dominique, are you, you said, yeah, I got you, I got you, I got you. I believe that that comes from being centered, though. You took time to be centered. What's for you, it's for you. Yeah. When it's time, it's time. What you ask for, if you ask for it in good faith, and God knew it was for you to have, regardless if that person talking about no right now, not right now, it'll be no, it'll be yes later. It never was told no. It just means not for right now. Isn't it good to flow in, in, in the proper timing of things? Yes. One of the um, ooh, one of the things that I wrote, um, I started journaling. I was never a journaler. I started journaling, doing all these things. And something I wrote uh, after meditation was, I am on the path of least resistance. Mm. And that's it. That's, 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 that's like, like a, a life phase that I'm in, the path of least resistance. If, it, if I have to force it, then it's not what I'm supposed to do. I understand. God has spoken so clearly to me. Say that one more time. The path of least resistance. (laughs) If you got to what? If you got to force it, it's not for you. If you're supposed to do it, he's going to make a way. And I think now, I used to be scared of what I couldn't envision and what was next. Now, I know, I don't know, I don't really know what's next. I don't really know where I'm supposed to be going creatively or on purpose. But I know when I am supposed to know, he makes it very clear. And that's just when I move. I move with a, a discernment of... When I'm supposed to do it, it will be known. So I don't need to force it. Mm-mm. I don't need to find an opportunity. I don't need to create something. It's going to come to me. And mm-hmm. if it doesn't come, then that's just not what it's supposed to be. I think another reason young people be so depressed is we think everything is supposed to be right now. I am 32 years old. That means the more than half of my life hasn't been lived yet. And come I think, on. Like, I think people our age forget that more than half of your life has not even been lived yet. I'm the one should be nerved up if somebody gonna be nervous. I didn't, I didn't, but you call me an old head. I'm the one should be over here trembling, nervous, and trying to rush and get this and that done. I'm not gonna do it till it's time to do it. You <laughs> You're not gonna make me do jack. Listen, we had a wonderful time on the boat. Uh, Latasha Davis Johnson, myself, and some other ladies. We got a thing called Boat Talk. And Latasha Davis Johnson, you tuned in right now. I asked her to be a part of what we're doing with Boat Talk because I think that you have a word for this generation for people that are in their 30s, people that are still trying to figure it out. Because even while we were on a paddle boat, it was like the Holy Ghost took over you, and yeah. you got this revelation, and you're like, ooh, that's what it is. And like, girl, that's good. We're not going to tell him that. We'll explain it later. But it's when it's time, he will give you, not all at one time, because you can't handle 
all of what God has. I went crazy trying to figure out everything God was going to do for me. He showed me the end of the thing, but he didn't show me the process to get to the thing. I thought I was going to automatically walk into radio, television, doing stuff, traveling, and all that. <laughs> I'm still on that journey to yeah. get to what he showed me. And if we just enjoy the journey, that's why the mental health vacations, many health vacations, are important. Because it gives us what? Time to reflect and time to be centered. And time to connect. Because the other thing, and you just said a lot. You said a lot. I will break. Something you said um, is that, right, just because he gives you a vision, you still have a whole life to live to fulfill mm. that. And I think that's why I'm a little more patient with myself. He has given me very clear visions of an end game. Come on. Maybe it'll change is what I have right now. And I know that that just means where I am right now, I'm in a work space. I'm in a phase of putting in all the work and in, in, in just living and being that person. Um, but if you never give yourself time to connect, how are you going to hear him? Mm. And I don't just mean, and it's praying is important, not just you praying and asking for something, not just going to church. When do you just sit still and allow yourself to connect with God to hear the messages he has for you. When do you get silent? Come on. And if you don't, and if you don't, and so that's why, like, lately, now the school is out. <laughs> now the school is out, and we've all made it out alive. Mm. I'm like, I'm get, take, getting back in nature, going to yoga, um, getting still again, because I'm like, I'm not going to know what's next if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. And mm. all I have to do is what I'm supposed to do. I don't have to recreate anything. Come on. I just do the things he told you to do. I know what makes me feel good. Right, making what makes me feel good is getting in the sun, being in nature, going to yoga, meditating. If I do those things, I know I'm gonna be my best self so that I can hear what he wants me to do next. And so it's like there are things that there are some people it's like your creative flow, painting or writing, and then he'll speak to you, speak through you, and you'll be like, Sometimes I'm talking, I'm like, that was for me. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't come up with that. God talking to me. Through me right now, and I needed to hear it out loud. I'll, I'll say something. I'll be especially in the mornings. I'll be in the shower, and I'll say something. I'll be like, "Dang, he really wanted me to hear that." Uh, and it's it's a, just a very different sensation. Um, and so, yeah, I think that when you are looking at your own growth, um, first be kind to yourself. You're doing fine. Wherever it is that you are, you're doing fine. You messed up, so what? Who cares? Every mess up, and I think that it's where you mess up um, and those mistakes and those bumps along your road that you kind of figure out, you refine your process, you figure out who you are, and you figure out uh, your character, right? When you have mistakes, I think those are the best um, best indicators of your character in some places to grow. And so, just roll with it. Um, but it takes a level of kindness to yourself and acceptance of yourself. Live with yourself. Love yourself. I like that, kindness to yourself, because some people live with the theory, you got to grind, 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 grind. I don't live by that theory. I'm going to sleep when I need to sleep, eat when I need to eat, go to the park when I feel like going to the park, hang out. Trust, there's a grind that goes on mentally that is unaware to some people. Until you've had your mental drain, you don't know what it takes to refill it. And yes. you're going to protect it, because you know... Riding on, especially with gas prices now. I'm not trying to let it get to eat because I don't want to put, you know, $90 worth of gas in, you know. So when I see it, it's on half full, I try to hurry up and fill it up so I won't be spending. So in my mind, I'm thinking I'm not spending as much yeah. money. 
So that's the same way with our spirit, our mind, our intellect, our time, our space. Once you've been drained for real, for real, you're going to protect it. And you're not going to allow yourself to get that type of drain. So 